if you have your Bibles, would you, uh, would you turn to the book of Mark chapter 6? Mark chapter 6. And uh, as we're getting there, I'm going to open up some of my notes here a little bit. It's great to have you with us today, beginning of March. Wow. Time goes quickly. It is 2020. 2020, it just seems like the other day I was graduating high school. You're laughing at me. Man, there's a lot of judging people in this room this morning. I'm just kidding. It does not feel like I graduated high school the other day. I know it was at least a year or two. Um, Anyway, we are in our series called This is Jesus. Um, If you're just joining us today for the first week or the second week, maybe you're just catching in or jumping in in the middle of our series. We're taking 16 weeks going through the Gospel of Mark, and we're looking at it chapter by chapter, and we're looking at a theme in each one of our uh, chapters. The purpose of this series is to give you a clearer picture of who Jesus really is. I don't know what your background is. I don't know what kind of church environment you grew up in. Maybe you grew up in no church environment. Maybe Christianity to you uh, is a series of things that you do as opposed to someone that you know. I'm not 100% sure what your background is. Everyone's is a little bit different. What I do know is that absent of knowing who Jesus really is, when we really don't know who Jesus is, Christianity can feel more like an obligation than an opportunity. And that's not why Jesus came. He didn't come so that we would have an obligation to go to church, an obligation to give, an obligation to serve others. It shouldn't be work in the true sense that we understand work. Jesus came so that there would be an opportunity for us to know the one who made us. That's the whole point of Christianity, that he came with a mission, and his mission was to show us that there was a way to get to God, to have a relationship with God the Father through the work of Jesus Christ. And when we follow him and we get to know his character, our response is to do all the things that we talk about. It's only in the absence of relationship that the things that we do become obligation. But when the obligation goes away because the relationship is true, is, is legitimate, we have a responsibility. I'm sorry, we have an opportunity to serve God and to love God and to do the things that he asks us to do simply in response to what he's already done for us. So each week we're looking at a theme or a character trait that Jesus demonstrates through the Gospel of Mark. And Mark focuses specifically on the acts of Jesus. You can look at different Gospels for different purposes. The Gospel of John focuses on the words of Jesus and how his words bring love and bring life. The Gospel of Mark focuses on the acts of Jesus. What he did shows who he really is. So we're looking at each week. And I'm not going to rehash some of the different ones that we've talked about, but I will just remember the first one and remind you of the first one, that Jesus' mission was what we talked about in chapter 1, that his mission was to be committed to showing us how to get to God. And that's what he was completely focused on. He didn't come to earth to tell us that there was another way that we may be able to go down. He came to show us the way. He came to live the way. He didn't tell us that there may be something that you could consider. His mission was to introduce us to God, and he was fully focused on that mission We've looked at different character traits each week. This morning, we're going to look in chapter 6, and we're going to look at this concept that Jesus transforms the humble-hearted. Jesus transforms the humble-hearted. Now, transformation is a really big word. Depending on your background and how you view it, 
uh, you might have different pictures or word pictures that come to mind. For me, um, going back to my elementary school, junior high years, transformed to me. Some of you know exactly where I'm going with this. You're like, yep, go ahead, say it. I was a Transformer fan. Some of you know what I'm talking about? You know what a Transformer is? Some of you? Okay, I don't know what you're talking about, Paul. Okay, you're all lying. Y'all know what we're talking about. Transformers, those, those robots that become like cars and planes and everything, they look one way, and then they make this cool sound, and they become something else. And I was fascinated by those things, and I would buy them and play with them and transform them, and, and it was like a race to see how fast you could go from one picture to the next or one robot to the next, and they would transform. And that's one example of something that transforms. It looks one way, but it actually is something completely different, in a few moments. Transformation is about going from an old way to a new way. When Jesus talks about transformation, he's not talking about taking the old thing and making it look pretty. He's ta- talking about foundationally something that you were once being removed and making you something brand new. When the Apostle Paul talks about being a follower of Christ in 2 Corinthians 5.17, he says, in Christ you are a what? A new creation. And he says the old has gone and the new has come. He's not saying that the old has gotten an extreme home makeover. You're not still the old person. You're a brand new person. You are brand new. And that doesn't mean there still isn't junk that's attached to us in certain ways that we deal with. But at the core of who we are, we are supposed to be different. And that's what Jesus came to tell us. That as we follow him, as we choose to follow him, you are not going to just look different on the outside. Isn't it easy for us to just look different if we want to? I mean, think about that. In the Christian circles that we've been in, and I don't know what background you have been in, whether it's been really charismatic or whether it's been traditional, whether it's been Catholicism, it doesn't matter. It's easy for us to put a face on and look different than other people. In fact, take the gospel out of it. Take religion out of it. People just look different in this world because they're expressing themselves, right? I mean, people dress differently. They wear their hair differently. If they have hair, they work different jobs. They speak different languages. They have different priorities. There are some people that you look at that are different that you go, that's pretty cool. And then there are other people you look at and you go, bless their heart. And because you don't understand, I don't understand. But differences are very easy for us to understand. We're all different in this room. Every one of us looks different. Even identical twins look different. I've watched and known some identical twins over my life. And uh, when I first got to know them, it was really hard to actually see the differences. But when you talk to their parents, they're like, it's so easy for us to see the difference. I'm like, how? And every time when you get to know them, you recognize that though they do look very similar, there are still differences. So there's always going to be an opportunity for external differences in our lives. Spiritually, and this is what's so important, Jesus tells us it's not about what we look like on the outside. His transformation is about what happens on the inside, and he came to transform us. How does he transform us? He transforms us when we demonstrate a humble heart. And we see this in Mark chapter 6, and we're going to look at the first six verses of Mark chapter 6. We're going to walk this out, and my hope in the process of this is it'll open your heart to more of what God would have for you and how he wants to continue to transform you. So let's begin reading in chapter uh, 6, beginning in verse 1. It says, Jesus left there 
and went to his hometown. He was accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogues, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? There's some really great questions, isn't it? Now, what's really amazing about this is that they're clearly impressed by what Jesus said. But they weren't just impressed. The scripture actually says that they were amazed by what they were seeing. He taught and they asked these questions and it says that they were actually amazed at these remarkable things. The word actually means amazed. The Greek word that it uses here is expleso and it actually means to strike with panic or shock. To be astounded to the degree of losing their mental composure. You might say, what does that mean? It means they couldn't stay calm. You ever been in a situation where something just was so shocking to you in an excitable way, or you were in such an awe that you couldn't help stay put? You ever been in a situation like that? I have, definitely. I mean, I've watched children. Children are a great example of this. Right? I mean, do this. Take some of your children, if you have children or grandchildren or great-grandchildren, and sit them out you know, on a table or in front of you at a chair and bring out giant presents and all wrapped up with their name on it. And just start talking about how awesome it's going to be when they open the presents. And you're going to watch kids do like this jittery dance because they're going to be all excited. Will they be able to sit still? Of course not, right? Because there's something there that they want to open, and they can't contain themselves. No, we need you to be very calm. We need you to be very calm. I, I would love doing this with my kids when they were little. I didn't do this all the time. But, you know, we'd sit there and we'd, you know, Christmas is coming or birthday presents are coming. And they're sitting there and their eyes are getting big as saucers. You know, okay, well, let's open. And we did this as a family, okay? Maybe you don't do this, but we did this as a family. Everybody opened one gift at a time, okay? So that you got to see what everybody else was opening. Now, in some families, that would be absolute torture, Okay, because I've been in some situations where you give the gifts out to people and it's just like a crazy chaotic fest and they're ripping presents and packages. This is what's going on in this situation. Jesus is speaking and teaching in a way that they can't contain themselves. And they're so amazed by what he's saying. They have the history because they know the miracles that he has done. Where did he get these things? Where's this, this remarkable wisdom? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? His reputation precedes him in his hometown in Nazareth. They can't contain themselves. And then you get to verse 3 and they say this. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. They have a problem in Nazareth. See, the problem in Nazareth is that they thought they knew Jesus. And they put him in a box. And why did they put him in a box? Well, they put him in a box because they all knew who he was. They grew up with him. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but he grew up in Nazareth. He grew up in this city where a lot of the people that he's talking to are saying these things, probably have known his family for years. Remember, Jesus is over 30 years old at this time. They watched him grow up. 
They watched him sit underneath Joseph. They watched Mary, his mom. They saw him grow and develop, learning the trade of a carpenter or a stone worker, whichever one it really was. We're not 100% sure. Maybe he fixed their homes. Maybe he was like Jesus the handyman. You know, if you're in need and you need someone to come fix your fence, call Jesus the handyman. And maybe he went and he would fix their homes. Maybe they went home and had dinner at a table that Jesus made for them. You ever think about it that way? Jesus was the carpenter. Isn't this the guy that built my chair? Isn't this the guy that built my table? Isn't this the guy that fixed my door when it was broken? They thought they knew him. And here's the other piece that goes above and beyond that, which is even more significant. Nazareth didn't have anyone of high stature living there. Nazareth was a pretty average town. How do we know that? Well, a couple different reasons historians talk about some of the things that were there, but we also know there's some really cool things about history. There was a a city about four miles away uh, called Sephoris that was being built by Herod Antipas at that point, and a lot of the working class people that built the city lived in Nazareth, so it was like a real working class city of workers. You can almost imagine it like a union today of people. They were solid quality people, and they did hard work, but they were a working class group of people. Not good or bad, just there. But if you back up a little bit, you might remember that when Jesus called his disciples and he called Nathanael, and Nathanael was told that they found the Lord and they said the Lord was from Nazareth, some of you might remember what Nathanael's words were in response. He said, Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? See, there's a reputation that this city had, and this is what I think is really incredible. If the reputation of the city was that nothing really great comes out of it, how do you think the people inside of the city felt? If the people outside said, you're nobody, the people inside are going to believe they're nobody because the reputation precedes them everywhere they go. Oh, you're from Nazareth? Loser. You're from Nazareth? Loser. So they just walk around with big losers on their forehead. You know, average people. And it doesn't mean that they were bad people. It just meant there was nothing significant about people from Nazareth. We think about this today. Is it easier for the crowd to bring you up or is it easier for the crowd to bring you down? I don't know why this is the case, but more and more people, it seems to be the case that it's easier for us to pull down people that are more successful than ourselves. Now, I don't want to step on any toes here, but I am going to go this route. Because, you know, there's a lot of football fans in this world, especially in this country. And during the football season, I see it over and over again, especially this time of year, or not this time of year, right before the Super Bowl, these little pie charts that went around. And it said the number of people that were excited about whichever team was in the Super Bowl, and it was a very little amount of people, and then the rest of the pie said the number of people that are excited that the Patriots are not in the Super Bowl. And it was everybody on the pie chart. You know what I'm talking about? Everyone see that before? Like, it doesn't matter if you are a Patriots fan. What matters is that they're not in the Super Bowl. Like, everyone wants them to not be in the Super Bowl because they've won so many times, and how can Tom Brady win again, and how can he possibly do this? It's like people don't want him to succeed. So, So let's celebrate their failure this year. And people were excited. I don't care who wins because the Patriots won't. You know, I know people that have said that. You know, maybe you're one of those people, I still love you, but it's kind of funny. Because this is what mankind does. This is human nature, that we see things sometimes that are maybe successful, and it's easier for us to pull them down based on our circumstances. I mean, I'll be honest, I'm never going to be in the Super Bowl. 
I can't even throw a ball up the hill for my dog far enough for him to like run. He just jogs up the hill because it doesn't go far enough most of the time. So I'm never going to throw a ball, be able to do that. My shoulder got thrown out when I tried to lift the 300-pound tub like 15 years ago, and it snapped, and nothing ever fixed right. So since that time, I still throw it, and it hurts, and it just barely goes up the hill every time. What's my point? We're no different than the people in Nazareth. Human nature. The world said they didn't mean a whole lot. They believed they weren't a whole lot. Who is Jesus to say he was anything different? He grew up there. They knew him. Jesus was put in a box. And you know, the truth of the matter is, we put things in boxes too. I put things in boxes. We like our boxes. I like my boxes. There are different kinds of boxes. There are physical boxes. There are some actual, literal, physical boxes that we like. For example, you know, maybe if you're a a worker in an office or a cubicle, you might like your box. You walk into work every day, you have your chair, you have your desk, you have your place where you put your pens, you have your thing where your tape is, you have your phone, right? You have all the pile of things that you're ignoring. You have all these things in places and you like your space. Maybe it's an office. That's a literal space that might be yours and it creates a level of security to it. Maybe your box is in an office. Maybe your box is your town or your neighborhood where you come into your neighborhood and you just like that you recognize all of the homes and the streets and the house numbers and you know different people and that's your box. And that's a good comfort for people. They like those kinds of things. That can be a little bit more specific. Maybe your box is not an office or your neighborhood. Maybe your box is a little bit like that young lady Dorothy in that movie years ago that tapped her shoes and said, there's no place like home. Yeah, you guys saw it. Maybe your box is just your house. You know what houses are? They're just big boxes. I drove by a big house the other day and I'm like, it's still a box. You know, we live in four walls, basically. Whether they're big walls or little walls, they're they're four walls. And how many times have you said, well, you've been around the country or the world or you're traveling, It's nice to be home and to be in your own bed, right? I mean, how many, I've said that. I'm like, it's so nice to be home. It just feels comfortable. So boxes aren't a bad thing, but we do like our boxes. There's a level of comfort there. There's a level of safety there. Sometimes they're physical boxes. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're figurative boxes. Sometimes your box is a routine or a rhythm that you have to get up and do the same thing every day. And your box is the roadmap of your day. Sometimes it's the holiday box. It's you know exactly what's going to happen every holiday. The routine of the holiday. And you continue in that routine. Sometimes your box are relationships. These are the people that you spend time with. These are the people that you're close to. And and the box stays the way that the box is. Boxes are not always bad, right? But they're comfortable. So we understand boxes. The problem is that sometimes the box can be a deterrent to let Jesus work. Sometimes when God gets put in the box, our priorities get influenced. Sometimes when God gets put in the box, our expectations get influenced. Every time God gets put in a box, every time our behavior is influenced. You see, depending on how you've grown up and how you view Jesus, 
he may be in a box this morning. He may be wanting to show you something far more than you could ever hope for, ask for, or imagine. He may want to take you places you've never gone in your life. And I don't just mean physically, I mean spiritually. I mean, he may want to grow you. I know he wants to grow you, but he may want you to move in ways that you would think are absolutely impossible, but you've been raised or you've learned that Jesus fits inside a box. Jesus looks like the church I grew up in. Jesus looks like the style of the worship services that I've gone to for 20, 30, 50 years. Jesus will only do what I've seen Jesus do through my life experience. And the danger in those types of things is that it influences our behavior. Because if Jesus is telling us, I can do far greater things than you could ever imagine, but we have him in a box, our expectation will drop. And when our expectation drops, our behavior changes. I mean, think about it when you came in this morning. I don't know where you were when you came in this morning, but ask yourself this question. When you came to Bridge this morning and you got in your car and you're driving here, assuming that all things were good, you know, and you didn't have any kids screaming or anything or whatever, if you walked through the doors of the church, what was your expectation when you came through the doors of Bridge today? Was your expectation to spend 90 minutes at Bridge and sing a couple songs and hear a message and just walk home, walk out and just do your rest of your day? Or was your expectation to come and commune with the living God? To know that God doesn't want you to just come and sing a few songs. God doesn't want you to just hear a message that might make you feel good or challenge you for a moment. He wants to transform your life. And if you're looking for him, he is already looking for you. Do you believe that this morning? What were your expectations when you came in? Now, you may have come in with that expectation and you're dragging kids in tow and you're like, Lord, I'm here. Oh, God, I'm here. Thank you, I'm here. Take my children. I love you, children's ministry. And you come in here and you're sitting down and you're just like, thank you, Jesus, that I'm here. Oh, I need you. And we sang that song, I surrender, I surrender, right? And we're like, I do surrender because I got nothing left, right? Maybe that was you this morning. That's clearly it applied to some of you. (laughs) That's okay, That's okay. You know what's not okay? What's not okay is to come through the doors of a church. And it's not even a Sunday. It's every day of our lives. And for us to get up and think, God only works within the box that we've created for him. That's not okay. Because when that happens, we lose the opportunity to see him move in so many ways in our lives. We strip him, not of his power, because you can never strip God of his power. We strip him of his mission. And his mission is to show you a way to be transformed. And the transformation is directly connected to your level and my level of humility. We can't put God in a box. When we put God into a box, we lose sight of what he has in store for us. When I reflect on my own spiritual growth, I mean, I I am like a mutt of Christianity when I go back and think about my background and my experiences. Growing up in like a Baptist-based church when I was really little in Long Island, and then growing up going to North Jersey and living and uh, being a part of a non-denominational church, which was pretty close to a Baptist church with some ties to some fundamentalism. We spoke truth about the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
This is who Jesus was. The cross was a powerful message in the church. Transformation through the power of the cross. Dying to ourselves. Sin. World missions. I mean, we're talking church. We had thousands of people in that church. And the church was planted in a tent. And when I left there, there was 2,500 people there. The first pastor pastored for 66 years. There's been two pastors there in 85 years that were senior pastors. Still going strong with over 3,000 people there. But when I was there, they never talked about the power of the Holy Spirit. They never talked about the transforming power of the Holy Spirit and the manifestation of gifts that God wanted to give us, specifically the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. I ended up going to a Christian college in Harrisburg. Some of you might know Messiah College. That's where I met my wife. We met in chemistry class. That is a true story. True story. I sat in front of her, and she was impressed by my shoulders, and that's where it all began. True story. Ask her just after the second service. Went to a, it was a Brethren in Christ school. What is a Brethren in Christ? I don't know what that is. I didn't know. I just knew this is the way I grew up. Here was the box. This was the box that I put God in. And I saw people coming around with things on their head. And I'm like, what is that? I don't know what that thing is on their head. What is that? Oh, well, these are different kinds of people. There are other denominations besides what you grew up in, Paul. And now all of a sudden my box gets bigger. And then I go to some churches that I had no idea existed. And then I met my wife, and I went to the home church that she she grew up in, and I had no idea a church like that existed. And it was cool, and people were like, believe this. They were excited to worship God. I mean, think about that. That blew my mind. In a church where I grew up in, awesome church, 2,500 people, there was one guy that raised his hands during the worship time. He was the amen guy. Everyone called him the amen guy. 2,500 people, hands would go up from the third row in the back. We'd be like, there's the amen guy again. Everyone else would just sit there stoically and just sing our hymns. Listen, if you don't know hymns, they can touch your heart. Some of my favorite songs of all time are hymns. That, well, I mean, I already told my wife, I'm like, on my, my funeral, should you still be there, Blessed Assurance is the song that has to be sung. It's a beautiful song. But God opened my box, and he showed me, you know what? You can worship God differently. You can express yourself. It's okay to raise your hands. It's okay to clap. There's nothing wrong with the drum set. Thank you, God. The guitar is not of the devil. That might stir some of you, but I'm telling you, open your box. God challenged me. He opened my box to a different way of seeing things. And you know, here's where it really started to change. My response to the opportunities either were going to determine if I grew or if I stayed exactly where I was. My response, the level of humility in my heart would determine if I was going to grow or if I was going to stay exactly where I was. So every opportunity was an invitation by Jesus to ask myself, what do I really believe? Am I going to grow? Or am I going to stand strong saying, you know what, this is what I learned, this is what I was told, and dab gum it, I'm never going to change, and this is exactly what it is, and I already know everything, because these guys are, you know, they had seminary degrees and, and wonderful teachers. My goodness, I love them to death. Those guys are just awesome, those pastors I sat under. But is it possible God wanted to expand my box? I'm not talking about bad theology. I'm not talking about inventing things Scripture doesn't say. I'm just saying, you mean there's, there might be more to experiencing this? 
So my wife and I graduated. I worked in North Jersey for a little while. We moved to this area. I worked for a drug company. We spent time at a local church. I was on a worship team for a number of years. We didn't think we fit there. We ended up going to a little church that had 15 or 16 people in it, and it was an Assemblies of God church. Oh, no. One of my high school roommates or college roommates was an Assemblies of God person. I tell you, true story, used to walk around with little pins that said Assemblies of God on it. I'm like, what is that? Why are you weird? I remember telling him, I'm like, dude, why are you wearing a pin with your denomination on it? It didn't have your church name. It had the AG on it. And I'm like, are you promoting a denomination or are you promoting Jesus? And just like that, I said, I want nothing to do with it. God brings me to a church, and it's like, hey, by the way, it's an AG church. Gotcha, Paul. And I was like, this is an AG church? Listen, I could care less what the letters are in the front. Today, I asked myself, I'm like, God, what is the church about? What are you calling us to do? And you know, he took me on a journey during that time. This was in the mid-90s, late-90s, took me on a journey to say, okay, are you going to continue to be open? I've given you a historical truth being grounded in the Word. I've shown you a little bit more about what I can do through the power of my Holy Spirit. Now you have an opportunity to really walk it out. Are you willing to do that? Basically, he was asking me, what kind of box are you putting me in? Lord, I want to do whatever you want me to do. I want to be open to whatever you're asking me to do. And I remember some of those moments where God touched me in very personal, intimate ways. I remember this Sunday night when I was in Lansdale at a service when there was only about 30 people there and I was prayed over and God touched me and I was filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke in other tongues. I remember that. You can't say, you know what? I don't care what you believe. I'm telling you, I was like on the side of the pendulum that said, that is nuts. And yet here I am today saying, God, whatever you want me to do, and I'm having this experience. I remember for the next two days going to work every day, closing my office door in corporate and crying at lunch because what God was doing in my heart. I remember those days. I remember God saying, it's time for you to walk away from that company and to trust me and trust your family with me. I remember cutting my pay in half so I could go to seminary. I remember saying, God, whatever you want to do, I'll do it, but you need to take care of me. He was telling me to make my box bigger, guys. He's challenging all of us to make our boxes bigger. I remember what it was like to take on a role as a worship leader and then take on the role as a, as a lead pastor of a church that was struggling and fledgling stuff and, and problems. And I remember all that stuff and every step of the way, I have to ask myself, God, are you big enough to do this? Are you big enough to sustain me? Are you going to take care of my family? Are you going to do these things? Every step of the way, God says, if you trust me, if you trust me, I will show myself faithful. I remember opportunities as our churches came together, where CLC, which was our old church and the Maranatha Church, came together, and we became Bridge Community Church, and God started doing awesome things in that that integration. I remember opportunities years down the road to begin missions and focusing on missions and God saying, if you make missions your focus as a church, I will take care of the work that, you've, that I've called you to do. I mean, today, look back at some of those things. For $22,000, we gave in missions in 2009 and over the course of the last 10 years, if you were here at our all-church gathering, $1,036,000 was given to the work of missions in 10 years now. How incredible is that? God says, trust me, watch the box get bigger as you trust me. I remember a few years ago when we were going to send a group of students down to Texas for one of the first times to a YWAM base. And I remember thinking, I don't know anything about YWAM except I heard that they're kind of weird, just being honest. 
they're really out there with the Holy Spirit. And I'm not saying I believe that. I'm saying this is what people say. So God says, open your box. If you really want to know what it's about, you go. So I remember going with another leader and taking 14 students with me for two weeks and living in a cabin with kids for 14 weeks. I was, I was in my own cabin. Let me preface that. Thank you, Lord. Kids stink in Texas in the middle of the summer, dudes. I'm just telling you. But I remember being in my own cabin with our other leader, Brad. And every day I'd be like, God, what, do you, what are you up to here today? And I'm looking and I'm watching and I'm asking questions. And God's using that time to touch kids' lives. And I'm saying, God, look, you're doing something in their lives. I remember the second week going to Houston, Texas and walking on the streets and sharing the gospel with people. I remember watching. I, I, I remember a 65-year-old woman who had knee problems that got her knees get healed in the middle of the medical district. And as she ran around in the middle of the intersection saying, praise God, I can walk. I remember these things. Each time God says, let the box get bigger. No walls. Is your box willing to grow? I remember being on the plane on my way home. My, this story, I'll never forget this. Sitting next to a lady, a young lady, maybe in her 30s, talking to her, didn't know her from anyone. And as I'm talking to her, the Holy Spirit's just giving me names. I'm like, what is this? This is crazy. I'm praying for her. He's giving me names. And I asked her in mid-flight. I'm like, I just, I need to tell you. She knew I was a pastor. She knew I was on this trip and this missions thing. And I said, I'm just praying for you right now, and I have these two names, and I just want to share them with you. Do they mean anything to you? And to watch her begin to cry. And she says, the first name is the name of my father, and this is the weekend of his seventh year. Seven years ago, he passed away this weekend. And before I got on the plane, I was calling my mom, and I was telling her how much I miss my dad because we were very close, and she prayed with me over the phone. She wasn't a Christian, by the way. She just told me, and she encouraged me. The second name that you gave me is the name of my son, and it's not really his name. It's his nickname. And he's out of the country right now with his dad. We're divorced. And his dad's abusive, was abusive to me. And I'm fearful for my son because he's a young boy and I just don't know what's going on with him. But he has custody, partial custody. And I'm very concerned. And she's sitting there in tears in her eyes in the plane as we're flying from Dallas to Chicago. And she's like, how do you know that? And I just said, I'm just sitting here praying for you. And the Holy Spirit's just telling me these things that I need you to hear. And I'm not sharing any of these things with you today, guys, because I want you to go, ooh, that's a great story. You're someone special. I'm no one. I'm no one. God is everything. And can I tell you, he wants to use you. He wants to grow you. He wants to struggle. He wants you to struggle and wrestle so that the box doesn't ever stick. Because when the box stays the box our outcome looks like the outcome of Nazareth. Verse 4, Jesus' response to their offense was this. A prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown, among his relatives and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Because they grew up with him. Because they knew him. They knew his miracles. They'd heard of his wisdom. The scriptures were very clear. He quoted scriptures. He said today, the, the scripture he read in the synagogue from Isaiah, he said today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. But they lacked faith. 
They were people of unbelief. And unbelief, when we say lacking of faith, we sometimes think, what does it really mean? It means they were not humble people. They thought they knew more than they really did. They were not teachable. I want to ask you this morning, are you teachable? Are you willing to give God room to expand whatever box you've put him in? Are you willing to give God room to move in ways that he wants to move in your life, but he hasn't? And I'm not saying the answer to that is you're going to experience everything I've experienced. Everyone's box might be different. For some of you, you might be on the other side saying, I've seen God do miracles and I know that I can claim in the name of Jesus, blah, blah, blah. Maybe he wants to expand your box and say, here's what healing really looks like. It doesn't just look like this. It looks like this. We talked about this last week around healing, that there's a spiritual healing. There's a physical healing. There's victory over death. There's so much we can look at. If God was going to heal every single person of the physical ailments that we had, none of us would ever die. But there's a greater healing. He doesn't heal just for the sake of healing. He heals to confirm his mission and the way that we understand healing. But maybe God is asking you this morning to consider opening up your box so that you can do what he's asking you to do and you can go where he's asking you to go. And invite the worship team to come forward as we get ready to close in a few moments. And if you would just take a few moments, maybe as the team comes, would you just take a moment and just maybe bow your heads and just hear my heart on a few things as we get ready to close during this time. Ask yourself these questions. Ask yourself in relationship to Christianity. Now I'm speaking to those who are followers of Christ and I'm also speaking to those this morning that maybe have no relationship with Christ. Maybe you don't really know who Jesus is. Let me ask you, are you teachable? Are you willing and open for God to speak to your heart? Or do you think you already know the answer? If you're teachable, God has something to show you. Are you willing this morning to admit that you could be wrong about something? Are you willing to admit that in your relationship with God, or maybe just Christianity in general, you may not have something exactly the way God wants you to see it? When we're humble, we're willing to admit that we may not have it all figured out. Are you quick to listen and slow to speak? Everyone has something they want to share. But are we willing to hear what God has to say? And are you willing to follow Jesus? Not just go where he tells you to go. You see, humility is not saying, Lord, I'll go wherever you tell me. That's not really humility in the truest sense. Humility is, I'll follow you wherever you lead me. God doesn't tell us to go do things for him. He invites us to join him and to follow. We never become leaders. We are always followers. Even the apostle Paul never said, I am the leader you shall follow. He said, follow me as I what? Follow Christ. Are we always willing to be followers of Christ? To believe God can do things in us and through us to transform our hearts. You know what true humility really results in? True humility results in us understanding the need for the grace of God on our lives.
when he transforms the humble-hearted, it's because in humility we recognize that we can't do anything without God's intervention. We can't do anything without God's direct involvement. And that's the whole message of the cross, that God demonstrates his love for you and his love for me. Why? Through gra- or how? Through grace. For while we were still useless, while we were still useless, Christ died for us. Revelation 3.20 says, listen, I am standing and knocking at your door. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will eat together. And that's an image of great intimacy that he has for you and for me. An invitation for us to know him in a way that is outside of any box we could ever create in our minds. And the foundation of that is to approach him in humility with a heartbeat of grace, with a heart of love and to trust in the grace of God, the amazing grace that God has given you and I to say, though we were not worthy, God has made us worthy through his son. Isn't that encouraging today? Though you and I are not worthy, we are now worthy through his son. Though we're not capable, we can be capable because of his son. Though we were unqualified, we've become qualified through the sacrifice and the love of Jesus Christ. How great is the Father's love for us? It's the love of grace, God's amazing grace. Would you stand with us, please, today? God, would you speak to our hearts today as we worship you? May our hearts grow closer to you as we remind ourselves of your grace and your love. In Jesus' name.